Welcome to episode two of the PFF College Football Podcast. Today we are talking Clemson and Notre Dame. Yesterday we talked LSU and Alabama. So now we're making our way to the ACC, which starts this weekend. So Clemson takes on Wake Forest. Notre Dame takes on Duke. Interesting matchups. I'd say Wake Forest a little bit, little, little bit of a trap game for for Clemson and Duke. They're interesting. That's all I'm going to say. I think we'll see what they can get out of Chase Bryce. But with that passing attack that David Cutcliffe runs, if they have a quarterback who can play there, and remains to be seen about Chase Bryce, the the, the grad transfer from from Clemson, they could make some plays. So. Interesting to see those two teams start their season and the whole ACC start their season. We also have Big 12 this weekend, and then a couple weekends from now, we have the SEC. So let's get into it right away. The biggest question for me about Clemson and honestly it's not even really a question it's like whether how badly are they going to dominate the ACC again five straight ACC titles back-to-back undefeated years in the ACC obviously 2018 went undefeated won the national championship 2019 went undefeated until the national championship where they lost to LSU the schedule sets up pretty nicely for them with the new um, the, the new schedule basically they get Notre Dame now as a conference opponent they play Miami and Notre Dame. Those are probably going to be their two toughest games because of the quarterback play on either side. So you have Miami's going to get Derek King. Notre Dame is going to have Ian Book. But with that said, they do uh, miss out on facing Sam Howell and North Carolina and Mikel Cunningham, Tutu Atwell, and the Louisville Cardinal, who I think have the passing attacks that could uh, give them trouble. But besides those, so you know, missing two out of the four big passing teams of the ACC helps them a lot. You still got to pick them to win the conference, and a lot of it has to do with the two um, the two players they return at probably the two most important spots, which is quarterback and receiver with Trevor Lawrence and Travis Etienne. So let's talk about Trevor Lawrence going into his true junior season. Last year as a true sophomore, 86.2 passing grade which was 14th best overall. Over the last two seasons, 90.9 passing grade. That's the seventh best seventh best overall over those two seasons. The play as a true freshman was ridiculous. Uh, nothing else to say about that. He looked like he didn't even need to play college football. He could have been playing in the NFL at times during that season. Wow, what a throw. Clemson down Alabama, 40. 16. Now he comes back as a true sophomore, and the first part of the year, really not that great. So I'll give you an example. He added over 650 yards, which was the third most, and five touchdowns just on screen passes. So, you know, when you can strip out that stuff, and so what I did is I stripped out the rollouts, I stripped out the RPOs, I stripped out the screen passes, so I try to look at what he was just as, you know, a pure quarterback where you have to go through progressions and read more than one defender. And actually, he falls to 26th overall last season 
And there's really two halves to the season when it came to Lawrence. So the first eight weeks of the season, he's the 69th best quarterback when we strip out all those, uh, you know, quote unquote, easy reads. Second half of the season, though, sixth best quarterback. So he kind of realized what he was doing wrong. And when you watch the film, you see a guy who's not really who really trusts his receivers maybe too much, throwing a lot of jump balls. I mean, we know that's that's part of uh, Clemson's game, especially with the receivers he had last year not really going through his reads, locking onto targets, and then not throwing the ball that accurately. And that changed. He went back to what he was doing in the second half of the season, though he didn't have a great game against LSU in the national championship. This might be scheme-related. So if you go and you buy our college football preview magazine, we give you the heat maps, or we call them attack zones, of where all the receivers, you know, for all the Power 5 teams, but you get Clemson also, obviously, where all the receivers ran their routes last year and then where the where Trevor Lawrence targeted those receivers. And when you look at Clemson's, you see not a very below average um, amount of routes that hit the middle of the field in the intermediate areas. And what that tells me is they believe so much in their athletes, and this this has been going on for a while at Clemson. They believe so much in the in the personnel they have that they don't really need their quarterback to make a ton of let's say NFL reads over the middle of the field. You know where there's a lot of linebackers, where there's safeties, where there's sharks in the water that can intercept you. They don't need to do that. They can just rely on the talent to make plays outside and you know when you when you watch trevor lawrence he does stuff that a lot of quarterbacks you know even nfl quarterbacks won't even try so clemson will run a lot of what's called like mirrored uh, concepts so they'll have the same concepts on both sides of the field which a lot of teams don't even do anymore it's uh i, w- I don't want to call it an outdated concept i don't even know why we even bring up the dadgum word but it's it teams have been moving away from doing that for a little bit and so what they'll do is they'll run the same concept to the short side of the field and the wide side of the field. And, you know, a normal college normal college football quarterback is going to throw a lot of these plays, especially when they're breaking to the sideline. They're going to throw that to the short side of the field because it's a, it's a shorter throw. And Trevor Lawrence, being that he's he's got a cannon, he'll make these throws to the wide side of the field that I don't think a lot of people do, speed outs and corner outs and stuff like that. So he does stuff that a lot of people can't do, but hard for me to to just forget about that first half of the season where he was throwing at the coverage, like I said, not going through his progressions and stuff like that. Both his big-time receivers are gone. So T. Higgins in the NFL, Justin Ross after the season uh, with, with an injury, basically. Ross led the team in catches and targets. And the main thing for them is going to be finding snaps on the outside. Higgins and Ross each had over 450 snaps on the outside. They're both gone, like I said. Joe Nana, next best on the outside at 294 snaps. Now, he might really be he, – he, he's a player. Like, this guy's a player. You know, tall, um, uh, caught, you know, most balls that were thrown at him, uh, a four-star receiver. You also have Frank Latson Jr. who's going to get a lot of run this year. He had 230 snaps out wide. Oh, my goodness, what a catch by Frank Latson for a Clemson touchdown. Uh, so they, they they have players out there, um, you know, obviously big-time recruits because they recruit so well at every position, especially at receiver, that it should be pretty good, but still you don't you don't love to lose your two, top two receivers um, uh, from a given year. In the slot, they get back Omari Rogers, 412 snaps in the slot, only a 61.8 receiving grade, 
But then you wonder, you know, with with all these routes not going over the middle of the field, that has a big thing to do with him not having a great receiving grade. You want your slot to be able to work the middle of the field, and they don't really do that with Amari Rodgers. With that said, I saw that guy live take a screen pass about 80 yards to, to the house against Syracuse. He's, he's ridiculous when he gets the ball in his hands. Amari Rodgers breaks the tackle and gets the first down and much more. He may go. Amari Rodgers. Uh, nine missed tackles on, um, on, his, uh, on his touches last year, so that's very good. At the running back position, talked about Travis Chan, one of the best um, running backs we've seen in a long time in college football. I go back to that screen pass uh, stuff I talked about with Trevor Lawrence just before. Who was the highest graded running back on screen passes? Well, it was Travis Chan. So when Trevor Lawrence is throwing these you know, simple screen passes, he's throwing him to one of the best players in college football. 91.3 screen pass grade. Also, by the way, just the highest graded running back in college football last season. He breaks the tackle on 44% of his, ran, of his runs. Uh, he leads, he led the, NCAA, uh, the FBS last year uh, with five yards after contact per carry. Uh, um, and that led the FBS uh, among players with over 100 carries. And just overall, 7.8 yards per carry in his career. Just ridiculous. Um, so the offense should be in good shape with those two players, especially if you get the Lawrence from his true freshman campaign and the second half of his true sophomore campaign. On defense, they lose a bunch in the secondary. Uh, Kayvon Wallace, A.J. Terrell, uh, Tanner Muse, and of course uh, Isaiah Simmons was a top 10 pick in the NFL draft last season. So for me, it'll be inter- interesting to see if the defensive coordinator, Brent Venables, plays up more to his strength that might be on the D-line this year. So 2018, they have a great D-line. They lose them all. They bring back a ton of talent in the secondary. So he goes to a three-down three defensive line system using the secondary in ways that you know a lot of people hadn't really seen in college football. You know, I, If you go look at read our college football preview magazine i talk about um clemson playing what i call total football which is a uh, you know stolen from the dutch soccer concept so now in 2020 losing the secondary players but returning some pretty good talent on the d-line maybe he'll go back to a four down penetrating style um two two d-line players that i really want to talk about tyler davis who was a freshman last year xavier thomas coming off a sophomore season uh tyler davis an interior player um, very good as a three technique. So that's just, just outside the guard, between the guard and the tackle. Not as good. You know, 83.5 run defense grade when he's lined up as the right three tech. So very good numbers there. Uh, numbers drop a bit as a nose tackle. And we'll see, you know, if, if, if he stays with the three down system, you're going to see him more at the nose, kind of moving around from the nose and, and you know, the four eye, the, the three tech position. If he goes to more of a four-down penetrating style, like I said, now you're going to see him more as a three-tech, which I think fits him better. You also have Xavier Thomas, who didn't play a ton as a true freshman in 2018, but it was fantastic. 84.2 grade uh, in pass rush, 16.7% pressure rate, 20.7% win rate, which is like all the times he beat the guy in front of him. That went down uh, a lot. 
in 2019 uh, to 64 as a pass rush grade. So if they go back to maybe something that's more comfortable for Xavier Thomas um, playing in a, in a four down system, that could do very well for them. The breakout player, I think, is going to be Mario Goodrich. He's a corner. He graded very well, albeit uh, just coming on in relief of Darian Kendrick and AJ Terrell. AJ Terrell is gone, so expect Goodrich to to slide in there at cornerback. Uh, actually, graded in coverage, graded better than both those players. But again, you know, we're talking about 500 to 600 less snaps um, that Goodrich played than the starters. With that said. Three catches on only uh, 11 targets for 28 yards, plus on those 11 throws, uh, forced two incompletions and got an interception. So the, he's, a, he's a playmaker. They also get back uh, Nolan Turner, who's a very good safety. So obviously, and, and you know, I keep saying it, but they recruit, they recruit unbelievably well. So you'd expect them to continue to find players um, that, will, that will keep their defense, you know, one of the top five in college football. So the ceiling for Clemson is, uh, you know, national champion. And that's really what it comes down to. I think the ACC got a little harder with Notre Dame in there because, like I talked about, they return a, a senior quarterback. And I think the way to beat Clemson is to outpass them. Uh, I don't think you're going to get it if you can't throw the football. But they're still the, 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 you know, the class of that conference. So I expect them to to win the, to win the conference uh, easily again, uh, which means that their their floor is really you know losing in the semifinals of the of the college football playoff. Like that's really what it comes down to. Uh, you can't really expect them not to be in the college football playoff. playoff. So the, the you know the high end is they win the national championship game, go undefeated, and the low end is probably one loss in the season and then a loss in the semifinal, which honestly is a great season, but maybe not for Clemson fans. I mean, we're just a good we're a football team that has earned everything they've got. That's football. All right, we're on to Notre Dame now, and I figured let's get some real expert analysis on the Notre Dame Fighting Irish. So we're going to bring in, drumroll please, PFF Mike Renner to talk about his thoughts on Notre Dame. Mike? Lou Holtz once said, those who know Notre Dame, no explanation is necessary. Those who don't, no explanation will suffice. As much as the national media loves to root for the downfall of Notre Dame, they're not going anywhere. When people ask me why doesn't Notre Dame join a conference, how can they just join the ACC for one year and go back to being an independent, I tell them, go make the trip up to South Bend in late fall, you'll find your answer. Walking around Notre Dame Stadium, you feel the legends. Horning, Latner, Jack, Montana, Brown, Quinn, Rockney, Leahy, Parsigian, Holtz, walking around campus on a Saturday afternoon in late October, a crisp fall day, the air hits different. The Miller lights go down different at Notre Dame. To play there, it takes not only a special football player, but also a special person. And I could not be more proud to call it my alma mater. That was actually a 35 minute rant by Mike and we had to cut it down to a minute. He actually went to talk about 
um, the different McDonald's on campus, um, the favorite places he liked to use the bathroom in the library. So we figured, well, that's not really what we're trying to do here, Mike. So we had to cut him down to about a minute. But that's that's uh, that's your your Notre Dame spiel from Mike Renner. But anyways, let's get into uh, the team on the field. Biggest storyline for them is I, I find this fascinating actually is the lack of skilled players they return on offense who had significant run last year compared to the return of the big boys on the O-line and, you know, the quarterback who's been there uh, since the Gipper days. So I find that fascinating because, you know, we this is a something we've talked about in, in football for so long is how important the O-line is, how important the the quarterback is you're losing guys who play who will be playing in the NFL next year like Chase Claypool and Cole Komet at tight end so you're getting you're you're at the unknown part of of it going into week one against Duke with who is going to be catching passes but at least you're gonna have time in the pocket you're gonna have a quarterback who knows how to get through progressions and 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 make plays with his feet as well so I think that's really fascinating and when we look at that offensive line, as a team, Notre Dame allowed uh, 17 sacks, but we only put two on the off two for the whole season on the offensive line, and and that has to do with um, you know the quarterback either running himself into you know making a mistake in, in, with his pocket movements and and running into a defender or him like you know the clean pocket and then he scrambles around because he can't find a receiver and eventually gets sacked so they, they you know they took 17 sacks but only two came on the offensive line and they returned they returned everybody um you know jared patterson aaron banks and that leads me to who i think is the best player on uh notre dame's offense and that's liam eichenberg the tackle 10th lowest pressure rate on true pass sets among left tackles uh, in 2019. Uh, again, no sacks allowed, uh, only three hits allowed, um, only nine hurries are allowed. Uh, so just like a tremendous um, player uh, for Notre Dame. What Notre Dame's always been able to do, uh, you know, under Brian Kelly, is have uh, a tremendous like diversity in their run game, and and it's like a chicken or the egg type of argument because they obviously recruit uh, very good offensive linemen. You know, so many of them end up playing and and being great in the NFL. When you can go and get those players, you can allow yourself to have a diverse running game because you're getting good and talented and intelligent players, and that kind of leads into a cycle where now you can go recruit and say, hey, look, we do all these things. We're having a lot of fun in our, in our run game. It's not just inside zone, inside zone, inside zone uh, the whole game, so come to Notre Dame. So it kind of like a, a never-ending cycle there uh, for Brian Kelly's recruiting efforts. 42% of their run plays were zone plays, but... 38% of them had a puller, and that's like, it's a lot. <laughs> I'm just going to tell you guys, that's a lot. To be able to do both things at, at roughly the same uh, clip, um, that's that's very difficult, and it allows you, and it's going to allow them to find a way 
to replace someone like Tony Jones in the backfield. So coming back at, at running back, Sebo Flemister, Jafar Armstrong, Jameer Smith. I think Jafar Armstrong might be the starter there. You know, not a lot of carries between them. 48 for Flemister, 48 for Armstrong, 42 for Smith. And not like super great stats. So um, they all came in about, you know, uh, 15%, just about um, all of them, of missed tackles forced per rush. So not those aren't great numbers. Tony Tony Jones uh, a lot higher than that. Even Ian Book uh, when he runs is higher than that. So you know you don't know what you're getting from the running back pers- um, position, but you do know that they're going to be able to create space because a they're talented on the offensive line, and b they just do a lot of stuff, and it's hard to prepare for when you're running power and counter and trap and 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 buck sweep and all these plays. So I think that's that's something they can always hang their hat on. They're also just diverse in what they do formationally on offense. So last year, obviously, most teams, I would say, in college football are 11 personnel. So that's three receivers, a tight end, and a running back. That's what they were. I mean, big-time 11 personnel team. But one of the interesting things for me is how many formations they use. So they had six formations with over 18% uh, usage rate. Uh, the highest of that being uh, one at 18%. So they, they, they formation you a lot. Like you gotta pre- So again, you're preparing for all the different runs and you're preparing for all the different angles they're going to create from you with the different formations. Uh, so just a, a comparison, LSU had one formation comprised 35% of their entire offense. So you can see the difference. And obviously, look, it worked for LSU, but I, I like what Brian Kelly does there with the diversity on, in both the formations, with the running game. And stuff like that. Now, with the passing game, you do lose some really good players, obviously. Uh, Chris Fink, and then the two that I mentioned, uh, uh, Claypool and Komet. So who's going to play all these positions? They bring in uh, grad transfer uh, Bennett Skoronek from Northwestern. Didn't play a lot last year, only played three games. But he's a big body. I think he'll play the X receiver position like it's I he's not going to be Claypool but he did run those type of routes last year at at Northwestern so catching like a, you know a single side receiver uh RPO slant going down the field trying to trying to catch um, contested jump balls so he he's the guy I think could be um an interesting player for them uh next season at tight end again losing Cole Komet is pretty big but I really like this kid, Tommy Tremble, who came in um, oftentimes in their 12 personnel sets. I didn't run it too much, but but he would be the other tight end. Can line up at tight end, can line up in the slot. Ran the same type of routes that, that they like um, uh, for tight ends. So caught a few seams, um, caught some balls over the middle. A little more um, you know, niftier on his feet than Cole Komet. Obviously, Cole Komet, big body, can run. You know, Again, hard to replace that type of player like him in Claypool, but... But um, he, but Tremble looks like a good player. They have speed on the field with Braden Lindsay, who did not play a lot, but actually had like uh, something like six explosive plays on only like seven targets or, or maybe like twenty targets. So, so really interesting him playing the Z position, allowing them to stretch the field. And now with all that said, the guy who I think is really the breakout player for Notre Dame this year is really going to have to be the quarterback. Chase Claypool. 
and we're talking about Ian Book. He's improved every year that he's been there, but this year really has to be the next step. Everything in front of him is great, but he has to be the player that elevates the supporting cast around him. He's got to take more chances down the field. He really has to trust that they have to make explosive plays, and he's going to be the one behind that. So if you go on our college football preview magazine, if you take a look at that, we have our heat maps So from the passing perspective. So where do the passes get thrown to, but also where the routes were run. One of the most interesting things that you, when you look at the, the comparison between where the routes were run and where Ian Book actually targeted those receivers where they were running routes down the field, Ian Book was just not targeting them. In fact, they were running routes down the field at, at, at an above average rate compared to the rest of the FBS, and Book was just not throwing them. Now, he does other things very well, very good in the quick game, um, and they really support him. You know, uh, Brian Kelly really supports him with an offense that, that works for a college quarterback. So I think that he really could be the breakout star because he's surrounded by so much talent there on the offensive line. It's going to give him some time to throw the ball, time to think, and I think he could be a really good player. All first-time depositors at Monkey Knife Fight that put at least $20 into their account while using promo code PFF will receive a free, free PFF Edge annual subscription. So that's a $40 value for just $20. And you'll get that opportunity to turn that $20 into even more money playing daily fantasy football and prop games at one of the fastest growing fantasy sports sites in the USA in Monkey Knife Fight. Go to Monkey Knife Fight and deposit your $20 with promo code PFF today to receive your free PFF Edge annual subscription. Moosefit is a premium online workout program and remote coaching service that provides you with daily workouts based on your goals the time you have available, and the equipment you have at your disposal. Gym still closed because of COVID and you don't have any equipment at your home or your apartment, Moosefit has a bodyweight program that will push you and challenge you. Heading on a beach vacation and looking to tighten things up a bit, Moosefit has a physique program. With 15 different pre-made programs, Moosefit has something for everyone. Additionally, Moosefit offers completely customized programs that are unique to each member. No two custom programs are the same. Purchase your MooseFit membership and a MooseFit coach will reach out to you with a questionnaire. Based on the information provided in the questionnaire, your MooseFit coach will either assign you a pre-made program to you or will create a custom program for you. All workouts are delivered to members through an easy-to-use mobile and desktop application that allows you, you and your coach to easily track your progress and make any adjustments to your program that may be necessary. Founded by a former Army Special Operatives captain and former division one athlete turned professional crossfit athlete moosefit is well equipped to help you help provide you with daily workouts that will challenge you and help you reach your health and fitness goals for pff listeners use the code pff50 and receive 50 percent off your first month for more information check out the, check them out on instagram at, at moosefit or their website www.moosefit.com all right, moving over to the defensive side of the ball, and this is where we know that they're going to be stacked and they're going to be really, really good. Um, you know, top 10 last year in EPA per play on defense. Of uh, the players with 100 snaps um, played on defense last year who are returning, nine of them have over a 70 overall grade. That's very good. Best player on defense, Kyle Hamilton, the safety, 89.4 coverage grade. 
And he's just a player that I think has great instincts. He makes he's made a lot of plays as an underneath defender. There's a there's a really nice one I think it's against Virginia where he's mugging the line of scrimmage, looking like he's gonna blitz. They drop him off. Um, you know he's on the weak side where there's only one receiver. It's a trips formation. So he's, he's on the line of scrimmage. He drops off. There's no one coming. Uh, there's no threat to him coming from that one receiver side. So now he gets his eyes on a three-receiver side, gets underneath uh, you know, uh, an intermediate route, makes the play. They back out. Drop seven in coverage. Perkins slings it in there, and Kyle Hamilton, the freshman, comes up with his second interception. There's a play against Louisville, again, where Louisville tries a kind of like a tight end throwback, you know, play action. They're, they're getting the defense suckered to one side of the field, and they try and leak the tight end uh, out of the backside. You know, he's playing a deeper role, uh, Kyle Hampton, in that in that situation. Reads it well, sees the tight end, sees no one's covering the tight end, goes and makes a play on the ball there. Doesn't get the interception, but makes a great play on the ball. He's just really, really talented at, at that type of role. Like, let him play. Um, can play anywhere, man coverage underneath, uh, man coverage from the slot, you know, hook defender, curl defender, all that stuff. He'll make a name for himself. Four interceptions last year, nine forced incompletions. He'll make a name for himself this year if he, if, if you haven't heard about him already. The breakout player I like for Notre Dame, also from the secondary, is Tariq Bracey. So here's one of my favorite stats that um, Anthony Tresh pulled for our college football preview magazine no cornerback forced a higher rate of contested targets in 2019 than he did problem was that he didn't make enough plays on the ball in, on those targets but i you know i don't have the stats for this but i would imagine that if you continually have balls thrown at you while you're in great coverage where you're forcing contested targets because you haven't lost your one-on-one rep eventually those um that's going to regress in your favor. And all of a sudden, receivers are not going to be coming down with the ball um, as much as they did. So that's why his, his coverage grade is 79, 3.9 last year. But very possibly, that could explode this year if, if those numbers regress in his favor. The schedule, you know, as they move to the ACC, the schedule is, is okay problem is you know i think that you know i've been saying this for a while i said it with the clemson in, in on the clemson side of things the teams that are going to give you a shot um uh, are giving are, are, are that we give a chance to win uh the conference are going to be the teams that pass the ball so again clemson and notre dame but then also north carolina and louisville they get notre dame gets louisville and clemson at home and then they go to unc so they miss out on on like Miami, who who could have a good passing attack. That's not great, but at least getting Louisville and Clemson at home is a start. I think the ceiling for Notre Dame, I, I just wouldn't really ever pick them over Clemson. You know, obviously we saw what happened a couple of years ago in the in the semifinal, in the Cotton Bowl. So it's tough for me to just be like, yeah, the ceiling is the ACC championship game. Um, or sorry, the, the ACC championship and then, and then a spot in the college football playoff. I just don't see it probably an easier path um if they weren't in a conference still i think we know that so the the, probably just underneath clemson is the ceiling for for notre dame 
And but I think that that's also where their floor is because I do think the offense has such a floor with how good the offensive line is that I think that I see them a little above Louisville and North Carolina and Miami. Um, so that's I just don't see them faltering that much. And obviously the defense is great. So that's kind of where I see Notre Dame. And um, we'll be back tomorrow. We're talking SEC East. Florida, Georgia. See you then.